The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. Boy, that was cheesy. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for our final episode of the year, our holiday-themed holiday Break the Business Spectacular. And by holiday-themed, I mean that we just threw on some cheesy holiday-themed Zoom backgrounds, and that's pretty much all we're doing for our holiday theme. Great to have you here. It's going to be a fantastic show. Let me go ahead and bring on Lauren to talk about just the, how great the show is going to be. How's it going, Lauren? Hey, it's going great. How's it going with you, Ryan? It is fantastic. I think your holiday theme Zoom background is even cooler than mine. I'm a little jelly. It's you, know, you got a lot more going on there. I just got like the cheesy Christmas tree and everything. You got like what looks like some futuristic <laughs> Christmas of the future theme going behind you. I like that a lot. I feel like I look like I'm in a newsroom and you look like you're in a comfy living room, yeah. which works. Yeah, but yours definitely more professional befitting a broadcast. <laughs> Me, it just looks like I kind of just, you know, turned away from whatever Christmas thing I was doing and said, oh, crap, I have to do a podcast which isn't really that far from the truth today. So, But we both have Christmas trees, so win-win. There you go. We'll take oh, it. I have a bell. Oh, yeah, I have one of these. I, I, have, a, I, have, a, I have a bell, too, on my Christmas We'll be costume. there with bells on. Hi-oh. All right, I don't have my drum uh, graphic. It's too hard to get to from here. But imagine I just went, boom, Great show this week, Lauren. Our guest coming up after the break. I would say, like, among my top, like, if I had to make my Mount Rushmore of all time break the business guests, he's either got, like, the Jefferson or the Roosevelt spot. He is fantastic. Had him on the show a bunch. He's great every time. Kevin Bruner is joining us. He is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Artist Brands for CD Baby. He is a true advocate for indie artists, an indie artist in his own right. He's been a member of the band Small Town Poets for probably like 20 some odd years now they've been making great music and he's dedicated his professional life through his work at CD baby to empowering indie creators, to helping them find success by creating great tools at CD baby to help creators, not just distribute their music, but promote their music, get their material out there. And I just, I love this company a lot. I've referred a lot of artists to CD baby to have them distribute their, their music there. And what I like most about them, and I talked to Kevin about this in the interview, is just how much they've been able to pivot as the industry has changed. As you can identify from the name, when CD Baby started, they just made CDs for artists. You went to CD Baby and had them make CDs for you back, and that's all they did back in 1998 when that was all an indie creator need needed. But since then, as the industry shifted to downloading, they made, they made it so you could put your music on iTunes. When the industry shifted to streaming, it became the all-in-one, one-stop shop for artists to put their music on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Pandora, on TikTok nowadays, and, and Instagram. You do it all with CD Baby, and it's a great professional outfit. So I'm excited to talk to Kevin, have him give us an update on how things are going, and to have him talk about what his company's going to be doing next 
and we'll get some great advice from him along the way. Love this guy. Absolutely. I'm excited. He's a cool dude. Lauren, I would like to debut a, a segment here on okay. Brain Business for the first time. There are a lot of podcasters who do movie reviews. That is a is a well-trodden trope in the podcasting space. You know, when podcasts are sort of itching for like, oh, we need to fill some content, they do a movie review segment, even if they're not trained film critics. I don't want to go that route because, again, there's lots of podcasters who do that. I don't want to annoy people with just my feelings on movies. However, I think I have a unique twist on the podcast film review genre that I think does warrant its own segment, okay? So you're not going to review the movie? You're going to review the people who review the movies? Ooh, it's so meta. I like that. This is even better. (laughs) I would like to debut a segment called Ryan's One-Third of a Movie Review. Okay. Because here's the thing. The beginning third. Yes, that's right. Um. I've come to find that the older I've gotten... And the more busier I've gotten, the more distractions that exist in my life, the more that my ADD just continues to take over every aspect of my life, the less of a chance that I'm going to be able to get through a movie in one sitting. It is a rarity nowadays, especially with the pandemic where I'm not going to see movies in the theater anymore. It's so easy to just pause the movie and go do something else and then forget I was watching it. So I have a lot of half-finished movies in my library. And there are people who will ask me my feelings on a movie and I'll say, oh, that was great. Or, oh, that was not so great. And then when that person walks away, I go, oh, God, I feel like a fraud because I've only seen a third of that movie and I just gave an opinion on it. But I think there's something to be said for a movie that just nails you in that first third and makes you want to keep watching. And I do have a one third of the review movie review that I'd like to give you this week. Okay, I'm hoping it's a pro at this point, but we'll see. <laughs> it's like, this movie is one that I quit at 15 minutes in, so. Well, I do have a lot of those one-third of movies. And I, okay. I will I will submit to you that there are plenty of movies that if you only give it the first third, you're missing out on a great movie. There is a movie I saw last week where uh, it was a Shang-Chi in the, the Legend of the Ten Rings, the new Marvel movie that came out. I watched the first third of that, and then I got distracted with work or something, And I didn't think the first third was that great. It was kind of slow. The dialogue was kind of meh. And I'm glad I went back to it later and finished it up because the last two thirds of that movie were spectacular. That's the review I want to hear. Like, give it a chance. Give it a chance. The last 15 is great. So that's why I think this segment's an important one. Like, there might be a lot of people who walked out in the first third of Shang-Chi and didn't give it a chance. But anyway... Then there's a movie that comes along that I've only seen the first third of, and I just need to see the rest of it. And I have that movie for you this week because just before I started recording Break the Business with you, I had to pause Matrix Resurrections. Ooh, I have heard some things, but I won't say. Go ahead. Um, Which is now pause sitting in my TV just in the next room. I had to stop it a third of the way through so I could do this podcast. And I'm telling you right now, you know, my wife is an early sleeper and she's probably like getting ready for bed right now. I'm going to wake her up as soon as this is over because we need to watch the final two thirds of Matrix Resurrections tonight because I am willing to say Matrix Resurrections might be the best first third of a movie I've seen in a long, long time. That is a great first third. It is. Oh, I'm, I'm so down for this movie. The first third of it anyway. I don't kind of, yeah, buzzkill. I mean, all of the things I've heard are not great, including 
four people sitting in the next room over who gave up before the end because they couldn't take it anymore. So really? just as a word, you may want to keep the remembrance of that first third and just let it go. Oh, no, don't tell me that. Because <laughs> the, the first third is incredible. You get great action sequences. You have you know great acting. Just, I mean, Carrie Ann Moss has not aged a day in 25 wow. years. It looks every bit as cool and spectacular as she did back in the late 90s, early 2000s when the original Matrix trilogy walked the earth. It's a great script. The The storyline is awesome. Ooh. The movie is super self-referential about sort of it being a commentary on its own franchise. It's a really self-aware movie, okay. which is super duper cool. I recommend that everybody at least watch the first third of this. I cannot speak to the second two thirds of it. I don't know what is going on with it. We're going to have to third, follow up next solid week. Solid first third. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. We're not following up on a damn no, we're gonna thing. We're going to keep the happy 15. Okay. This is Ryan's first third <laughs> reviews. I can't give you a damn thing about the last hour of a movie. I got nothing for you there. But I am your, I'm pot, the podcasting world's resource for first third movie reviews. I give this, the first third of this movie, 1.67 out of five stars because that's all you can give because it's just one third so um but uh super great I, I feel like this segment's got legs i feel like people want to know what this podcaster thinks on the first small chunk of a movie i'm still thinking you got to go with the last as opposed to the first because like most people like you said can make it through the first third they want to know if it's worth continuing to watch oh yeah no that's not my department go find <laughs> Go find somebody else for the last two thirds. You know what the nice thing about the Ryan's first third movie review segment that I think is going to make this a huge hit? You okay. don't have to worry about spoilers with me. <laughs> like this, this, like I mean, what is the number one complaint people this have? This is about the movie establishing reviews? part, right? Like that that jackass gave away the ending. You don't have to worry about that here, baby. No problem. I am just as un like I have no idea what's going to happen to Neo and Trinity. I don't know who wins. <laughs> But I can tell you that, like, the first steps getting there, really good. Awesome. Well, that's exciting to me. See, now, because of your review, I will probably go watch it. Because, honestly, you talk about spoilers and everything I've heard. I've been like, oh, that's so sad. Maybe I just shouldn't watch it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, like, if at least the first 15 is good, it's worth it to me. I'd like to, like, relive that, that you know, series. I think that that was... Um, entertaining to me the first round around so i might as well uh see what they've done with it that's kind oh, of yeah. exciting it's it's really cool i, I love how yeah. self-aware this movie is and it it is in on its own joke which i think is really really great but it's not in a way that's corny you, you have to see how they do it it's a really good first third in that regard yeah, all right Laura, sounds like it before we bring in kevin bruner this week Okay. I have a listener question. We like to, mm -hmm. you know, this is just this is just uh, Ryan and Lauren dumping out the mailbag to close the year out. Like to start, and the it doesn't have a bunch of Christmas mailbag. gifts in it this year. That's we right. Get questions. Okay. Just a, just a bunch of questions from listeners and viewers who uh, don't want to pay for legal consultations, so they just <laughs> toss the questions out on this podcast and get answers for free, which I have no problem with. Happy to have you. If you ever have a question, this is for entertainment purposes only. This does not That's constitute right. legal advice. Not legal advice. Blah blah blah. If you have questions <laughs> for the show, I encourage you to email us at breakthebusiness at gmail. Com. Lest you think I don't read those questions, I do every single one. Most of them I just reply back, but every once in a while we get a pretty interesting one that I think perhaps Lauren might be particularly inclined to answer well as well. And so I put it up here on the show. 
I think this is a question, Lauren, that you might uh, actually have better life experience to answer in some respects than I do. But here it okay. is. So the question is, and to be fair, this isn't really a question. It's just a series of statements. But <laughs> Dear Ryan, help me talk my dad out of making me go to college next fall. Mm. He is willing to let me study music, but I still don't want to go. College is a waste of time, and I just want to make music and be a live streamer. Now, I wanted to bring you into this, Lauren, because between the two of us, you're the one who, only one who studied a fine art in college, and you work in the entertainment industry, ostensibly using that degree to, in, to some respect. And so perhaps you can speak to like how much studying a fine art in college is actually meant for your career in entertainment. I have some thoughts on this as well, but they hear enough from me. Why don't you start us off? What do you think of this question? And I don't know if you recall this, but I had very similar conversations with our mother about this. Yes. And you know what? That's actually a very I'm good point. I'm pretty sure that I only made it through college because she kind of forced me to. Uh, as I'm sure as a lot of artists and this artist is saying the same thing, not just I'm debating pro or con, but like my father is going to make yeah. me. We had, and, that um, was always a, a family policy, right? Like our parents were always sort of of the mind of you can do anything you want in this world, but you're going to college. You go to co Mom didn't, our, our mother did not finish college and it was a very, very big deal to her to finish college. I think, Strangely enough, I'm actually the first female in my bloodline to have graduated college. Um, so even though I'm an artist, I get that badge of honor, kind of. Um, but the number one thing I will say to anyone even forcing themselves through it for their parents is to think of it more about the networking opportunity than the educational opportunity, because he's absolutely right. You can make music create anywhere you can be a youtuber a twitch person a uh any of those things without any training um as it were you're creating your own industry what you get in college that you can't get in the real world is a group of people who want to work with you and don't need to get paid to do it um mm. you may be paying to go to school but you can get financing to go to college. You can't really get that same financing to go into YouTubing. You can't say, hey, I'd like $40,000 to start my career. But you can say, I would like $40,000 to go to college. And then during that college, you are meeting the people that you will be working with in the professional industry. You're going to be meeting uh, people from the next apartment over. You're going to be working with people studying music and working in the music industry. And when you get into the real world, I mean, I can't tell you how many artists, professionals, everything else that are incredibly successful are like, oh, I met my partner in college. Oh, well, my producer is somebody that I worked with in college. Oh, this person is, you know, it's, it's the people you're going to meet. And when you're in a fine arts major in that school, you're actually working with a whole bunch of people in your industry. Yes, learning the skills. Yes, working with the professors, um, which is, is not to be put down. They tend to be experienced people, but use that opportunity to meet the other students, 
to use that brand, as it were, to get past that, oh, you went to such and such, I went to such and such. Now I have an opportunity for an interview. I have a following of people who are built in, who want to know what you're doing because they graduated from the same school or they were at a competitor school. Whatever it is, it's, to me, art school is different than and more than what they pitch it to be. It's yeah. it's less about the skills, I guess, is what I'm saying. I love the point that you brought up about financing. And <laughs> it, it's such a it's such a hilarious commentary on our society that like the way that we the way that we loan out money to people. Like, hey, I would like a loan for a thousand dollars to buy new live streaming equipment to start my live streaming career. Whatever, you bum, get out of our bank. Hey, I'd like two hundred G's to spend on a bachelor's degree that will not increase my employability one bit. Absolutely. How can how how fast can we cut you this check? We're not even going to look at your credit. Yeah, BFA is, is also known as the Bachelor of F all. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> not a lot you could do with that degree other than wait tables. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my because I'm glad I'm with you on a lot of your points there. I do not discount the networking value of a college education. And so to the extent that the listener feels like if they go to college, they're just going to be not advancing themselves for four years, like you're going to learn some stuff and you're going to meet some people and there's value in that networking mm -hmm. matters. Um, I would, I mean, when I, when I've had different people come to me with different versions of this question, cause I get it a lot. I get it not just from kids, but I get it from often the parents of talented kids mm -hmm. where they're like, I really want my kid to go to college because of, you know, they had this sort of the same philosophy our parents did. Like they know how important a college education is and they want what's best for their kids. And even if they, even if their kids don't want to go to college, they are inclined to just shove them all the way to commencement to make sure they mm -hmm. get that degree because they're risk averse, but they still think, Oh, but I want to make sure that my kid has these opportunities to you know be a rock star if they want to be a rock star. What I would say is two two main points. One, there is you know you know I I I have colleges as clients. I'm the general counsel of a college when I'm not doing entertainment law. So like I'm I am somewhat of a higher education advocate, though I do acknowledge that there are parts of the system that are pretty dang broken. Mm -hmm. But generally, the statistics bear out that college tends to be a good thing to do in terms of being a positive net present value project. Uh, especially if you're getting scholarships, you got, you know, in-state tuition that keeps your cost down. Or in the case of our listener, if daddy's paying for it. That was better. one of the things I didn't say that I was thinking about is, is don't underestimate the value of keeping your network uh, supportive of you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having your father uh, continue to want to invest and believe in your career, whatever that takes is incredibly valuable. Pissing him off because <laughs> you want to do your own thing <laughs> might hurt you more in the long run than just doing it. That being said, look into the school you're going to. A lot of conservatories make you sign something saying, I will not work outside of school. That may not be the situation you want to put yourself in if you want to continue to work while doing school. Um, and remember that it's not the end-all be-all. Uh, if you wind up taking off or being incredibly successful, nothing says you have to stay all four years um, yeah. or anything else. Some of the biggest successes are Juilliard dropouts. 
That's right. Um, uh, it happens. Know, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, a lot of it's like it's like sort of what happens with Harvard, where it's almost like the the, the failures are the ones that make it to graduation because the successes right. are the Mark Zuckerbergs that invent Facebook and drop out a year and a half early. Yeah. But to to your point there, Lauren, about conservatories uh, to sort of uh, bring it to the end of the first point I was making there is. This I you know if you're gonna go to college like there's an argument that if you if you are arts bound and you want to be a YouTuber or an indie creator there is an argument for going to college but not studying something in the fine arts studying mm-hmm. business accounting marketing engineering coding uh, finance uh, something that you're interested in other than the fine arts that you can use to bolster your overall portfolio and to be that God forbid backup plan. If your career as a, you know, international superstar doesn't work out, which, by the way, like you could still take a field that would allow you to get into an adjacent industry. So Mm. maybe while you are in college working to be a YouTuber, you are studying if you like computers, you're studying something in the coding field. And then maybe you can help design the next great platform for indie creators. You know, somebody like Kevin Bruner, uh, who we're interviewing in the next segment was a rock musician for many years, award-winning Christian rock musician who built his background in marketing and is now the senior vice president of marketing for CD Baby. I'm guessing he doesn't think that's a failure in his music career, (laughs) that he's working for one of the top music companies on the business side, while still, by the way, getting to make music with his band, which he does regularly. And business is something that a lot of artists are lacking knowledge in. Oh, yeah. And you wind up paying a lot of people to do your marketing. So if you wind up learning marketing in school, that's great. And then continuing the networking, you become valuable to the other artists of the industry. So if you want to work with somebody you hadn't worked with before and you can volunteer to help them with their marketing campaign, you're... Uh, valuable to them and now able to network with them. So anything that you have a tool in your toolbox for is, is worth it to me. That's right. The other piece of advice I have in this regard is something that I actually have floated to a, a lot of moms and dads who've came to me with a version of this question. So far, I haven't gotten a mom or a dad to you know do it with their own kid because, again, they're all super risk averse. But I honestly think there's a lot of merit to this. And that is, and I think the listener might like this recommendation as well because it gives them partially what they want, which is don't talk your dad out of no college. Don't try to talk your dad out of college. Talk your dad into letting you take a gap year. Tell hmm. your dad, give me one year to throw myself into this live streaming and just give it my absolute all, go nuts on it, Make it my full time job and then some, and just do the you know, throw everything I can at this project for a year. Mm-hmm. And if I can't make anything happen in a year, then I will, you know, go to college like you want. Because there is something to be said for, you know, freeing up all of your time for live streaming. Like live streaming, if you're really dedicated to making it in this field, there, you know, a full time college schedule really gets in the way of that. Like, Twitch streamers, musicians, that's a full-time job and then some. So if you tell yourself, I'm giving myself a one-year deadline, and then you stick to it, you know, mm-hmm. understand that you're not taking a year to hang out with your friends and to, you know, basically tour just take Europe, an extended right. time off, tour <laughs> Europe, find yourself. No, 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 no. This is a year of 16-hour days, seven days a week, 
filming at this like it is a full-time and a half job and throwing everything you can at this project so that after a year, if you've made no traction, then you can say, well, maybe this isn't going to work on this path. Let me do the other path of studying something other than just fine arts in college so that, and then, you know, still live streaming on the side so that I can work towards a potential backup plan of working in the business side of this while still doing creative stuff like Kevin Bruner does. Okay. But now on that point, a couple of things, one, uh, you have to have the discipline to set yourself on those 16 hour days and keep the work going. I find that when you stop studying, getting back into that flow again is incredibly difficult. And if mm -hmm. you set yourself up on a one year timeline, which a lot of people don't hit their goal in a year. And, you know, most businesses, even outside of the entertainment industry, don't start making a profit till five years in. And, you know, to think of, I set myself a one-year goal, then I'm going to college as a second chance because I failed at my goal. Just make sure that's not something that like hits you in the gut because you want to believe in every step you're taking, whether it's college or whether it's uh, working professionally. And I think it's dangerous to to set yourself a, a short-term goal that then has a, if I fail, I will X, because uh, that's scary to me too. Um, the other question is financing. We go back to a, you want to take a year off and go all in. Do you have the money to do that? Uh, because you have to fund yourself to do that. Well, it's it's a great point. I, I'm assuming for the purposes of this question that the way that the listener makes the pitch to their dad here, because I'm assuming from the question that dad's going to pay for college, right? Right. So I'm, you know, but I'm guessing the dad doesn't want to fund somebody who's reluctantly going to college like you know <laughs> I, I don't want to pay for the tuition of somebody who's going to college against their will so the way you pitch it to your dad it sounds is, like he's saying i'll pay to force you to go <laughs> right so but right but like that's no fun like what dad wants to do that so what you say is let me live under your roof for a year and so what it's going to cost you is like however much it costs to feed me mm -hmm. and that year i'm going to throw everything at my career and then if it, you know, if it doesn't work out after a year, I will go to college with a smile on my face. I won't begrudgingly go to college. I will accept that you, my father, let me take this year off and give this my best shot. And now I'm going to happily do your bidding here and go to college. I think, I think many dads, the dads who have the money to pay for college are going to take that trade. Like who wants to cut like 20, 30, 40, 50 grand a year and have your kid hate you for making them go to college. That's no fun. And who wants to spend that one year with your father hoping you'll fail so that you take his plan? Like, you're not talking about this, I convinced my father to support every moment of mine. It's like, give me a year, and if I don't, I'll go with your way. Now, have you really convinced him to support your way, or is he just biding his time and hoping that you'll then go to college a year later? Like, you don't want to live in a household with somebody hoping you don't succeed. Um, I don't know. I'm usually not a big college fan. And I do think that a fine arts degree underqualifies you to be a waiter. Um, but like, there's not a lot of pros to it. That being said, when your parents are the ones saying this is incredibly important to me, not I think this is incredibly important to your career, but I need you to have these letters after your name for me 
the reasoning for doing it might be that to keep that network together because fighting against them and then choosing to live under their roof for the next year while you do stuff is a really tough situation, I think, tougher than most people will think it is. Well, I don't discount that. And I hope the idea is that like child and parent both kind of fully get on board with what that plan represents. Because right. I can tell you this as a as a college administrator who works with a lot of college students, I generally endorse gap years just as a default. I think we are the fact that we always just send students straight from college from high school is a mistake for a lot of kids. I think there's mm-hmm. something to be said for taking a year off, finding, you know, spending some time to find your passion to do, you know, because a lot of kids major in stuff, you know, they major in engineering and they don't know what engineering is or they or they go into the pre-med route and have they ever, you know, worked in a doctor's office and seen what a doctor does every day? No. But they just sort of do it. And I think the the idea of getting like a year of life experience under your belt before you go to college, like wouldn't like wouldn't uh, if you're going to go to college to like study something in, that will help you get a career in the music industry. I think spending a year trying to make it as an indie musician where that's your sole focus would probably give your college education some amount of context. And, and schools so, might be more interested in you. Um, oh, yeah. It depends cool, on what you get a great essay out of it. What stage you're in and where you think you could be going. If your career is already taking off, slowing that momentum could be detrimental to your career. If you're starting out in that career and expecting to jump exponentially in that year you take off is a very, very different thing. I don't know if you remember, I I went to a conservatory for two years and then work opportunities. Um, I left school and I worked professionally for three years straight because I was offered those opportunities. Then I went to a school for one year and finished up the last two years of my program because they looked at my resume and went, wow, you're going to look great on our alumni list. We'll take you in. I got scholarships. I finished in a year and I had professors who worked with me. I showed up after school to turn in projects because I couldn't be there because I was working and all kinds of things. Uh, but it depends on where you're at. If you're already going, keep going. And if you're not going, go network before you start going and see what happens. Right on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then we have Kevin Bruner coming up after the break here on Break the Business. Don't go anywhere. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you a lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including 
audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show business our guest this week is a musician and the senior vice president of marketing and artist brands for cd baby a comprehensive artist services platform that makes it easy for independent musicians to distribute promote and monetize their music so that they can thrive outside the major label system gotta love that you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.cdbaby.com we are happy to welcome kevin bruner on a break the business a real friend of the show always love having you on kevin how's everything going it's going well ryan how are you i'm doing very well i hope you like the new digs we're <laughs> we're visual now we all had to comb yeah. our hair today yeah yeah you know it's funny because i wasn't 100 percent sure i thought i better i better not look like i rolled out of bed i'm not sure this is video or not but I'm, i made the right choice <laughs> well Happy to see you, happy to hear from you, and just been really grateful just to have you along the journey of this program to always be able to share invice, uh, insight with our creators. Love it. I'd love to first talk to you about just the recent news I've read about CD Baby. You guys announced earlier this month that you have paid out more than a billion dollars to your artists since the company founded in 1998. What does all that mean for you at CD Baby? Can you reflect on your company's role in the rise of independent music? Because it's it's hard to really separate the rise of the indie creator over the last 20 years and CD Baby because you guys have been there every step of the way. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge milestone for us uh, because, you know, our catalog, in my opinion, our catalog represents true independent artists, artists who are out there doing most everything themselves from writing uh, to funding their records to, you know, promoting their records to doing everything that they can, you know, to see success for their music. So to me, that represents uh, the growing strength of the independent artist community that are pursuing their music career on their own terms. And yeah, we've been there all along the way. And uh, we've continued to see that revenue payout increase considerably year over year, which is great uh, because, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the music industry, but uh, the revenue base for independent artists is continuing to grow. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Well, thank goodness for that. And to me, I am inherently impressed by the fact that you guys are still here since 1998. <laughs> Not because you guys aren't great, because I'm a big fan of CD Baby, but just because, but just that, the industry has changed so much since 1998. The world has changed so much since 1998 that a lot of the folks that were doing things in the music industry 20 years ago aren't still here today. And the companies that have remained have had to pivot. They had to continue adding new services, get rid of services that don't operate anymore. 
CD Baby originally, you guys made CDs for artists. That's how it all began. And now today you are this multifaceted, sophisticated distribution company for indie creators, but you're also doing promotion and uh, all sorts of things. Can you can you talk about how your companies had to pivot over the years to continue to meet the needs of today's indie artist? Yeah, I, I mean, when CD Baby started, the number one need for independent artists was that they had no access to the market whatsoever. If you didn't have a record deal, your music at that time, CD, could not be in a store. And yeah, you were just selling it out of the trunk of your car after yeah, the show. And it, and it shows, but you had no access to the market. And the other big problem was that uh, the, the having a credit card machine to take orders was very expensive. Back then, you know, you had to jump through a lot of hoops and have certain uh, revenue levels in order for a company to allow you to have a credit card machine. So CD Baby solved two problems. One, we allowed artists to, uh, we'd warehouse and sell their CDs through our website. And so now they had direct access to their fans. They had a marketplace and we were taking credit cards uh, on their behalf. And we also had these little credit card machines they used to be called knuckle busters that we allowed artists to sign up for so they could take credit cards at their shows. So <laughs> at that time that really solved a big problem and opened up the market to begin with as the industry changed, you know, the problems to solve for independent artists have changed and those things are less of a need. You know, square is amazing for taking credit cards uh, at shows or, you know, uh, there's lots of options for artists to sell directly to fans. And so for us, the, the need for independent artists shifted from being about helping them sell CDs to helping them fully monetize their music rights. And so that's a lot of where we are today. Um, and you can look back at, you know, like when the iTunes store opened, we were one of the first uh, companies to have music available and the need was, again, opening up more marketplaces, allowing artists to monetize their music in new ways and being able to reach fans. And now um, it's less about the sale because that was all very much about making your music available for purchase. Yeah. But now it's more about making sure your, your music rights are all properly monetized, whether that is a sale, a stream, a sync placement, a usage like YouTube monetization or TikTok or Instagram stories, the digital landscape has opened up all these enormous amounts of music usages that just weren't possible. Many of them 10 years ago weren't possible and didn't exist. And it's been a lot of interesting waters to navigate and ensure that independent artists are getting their due and their representation in these areas. Well, there's no question that there's a lot of distribution or a lot of disruption happening right now as we speak in the music industry. Just in the last few months, I mean, what we're seeing is pretty staggering, whether it's the rise of Web3, of NFTs, of micro sync platforms like TikTok and Instagram Reels, or uh, live streaming like Twitch. The needs of your typical indie artist are very different from what they were five years ago, where it was pretty much like a downloading game yep. or even one year ago where what I pretty much what I wanted from CD baby as an indie creator a year or two ago was, can you get my stuff on Spotify and mm -hmm. Apple music? And that got me most of the way, but now it's much more fragmented. The needs of an indie creator, much more multifaceted. There's more video involved. 
And so as we're seeing more disruption than ever in the music industry, how does a company like CD Baby, which, as you noted, you know, 20 years ago was really focused on helping you get those sales. How do you rise to that challenge and meet the needs of an indie artist that has so many more needs now? Well, there's a couple of things there because there's a lot in what you, you know, that you just mentioned how uh, much the the industry has changed just very rapidly in the last well, it's a few crazy years. Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think first it starts out with understanding who are particular artists, who they are, and what their needs are, uh, because a, a, a few things have happened. Uh, you know, if you went back to 1998 when we started, um, while genre-wise, CD Baby would have been inc incredibly diverse. In fact, when I started working here in 2006, that's what blew my mind, that all the, the diversity of music that I just didn't know was out there because you couldn't see it in the mainstream market. Um, this uh, really uh, robust, uh, you know, just catalog of music that, that had everything you could possibly imagine. Um, so, but with that diversity of genre, a lot of our artists were still pretty similar in what their pursuit of their music career was. A lot of them were artists trying to make a full-time living or hoping to build up to a record deal. The, the genres fact, were diverse, but the channels were the same. Yeah, and and the, also the the musical journey they were on and their career path, they were still very much modeling it after the major label artist um, career trajectory. That's right. But but you you fast forward to today, and you've got not only is the marketplace of independent music extremely diverse genre wise, but now it is incredibly diverse by what people are actually trying to accomplish and their goals and objectives. Um, and that is very different. And so that plays a big part into it. There are some artists that, uh, you know, now they, that, that want to cr crank out a track every day and are just trying to yeah. see what sticks, you know, it's like, there's people that take it even further and that are just trying to, you know, kind of do things where I'm like, ah, that's not who we want to serve. Like they're doing, keyword stuffing and spamming, like just trying to get a ton of content out there that people might stumble onto. And then there's artists that are still trying to like, I want to grow a career. I want to properly monetize my music. I want to build a catalog that, that, uh, that grows over time and, 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 you know, builds my musical career over time. And that tends to be the artists that we lean into and that we're trying to serve. Um, there's other platforms that serve other artists that that uh, don't fall into that category. But that tend, tends to be who we're trying to serve. People that are interested in building a catalog, want to take care of their rights, want to grow a career, want to, um, and whatever that means for them, you know, that they want to do it the right, the, the way that feels like they're taking care of business. Um, they're not just throwing out random tracks by and large. It's like they're trying to create an artistic persona. And um, so that's that tends to be who we're, leaning towards and that's important to understand because uh you know back when there was a handful of digital distributors base the basic breakdown of what made each different was their pricing model between us and a couple of competitors now pricing model could be a part of it but it could also be who they're tr really trying to serve some people are just trying to upstream people to label deals and other people are just trying to 
you know, they just want to be a piece of software that you use. We want to be the brand that still builds the community that that feels like you have an, a, a relationship with because we care about the artist community. We want to keep the artist community growing and we want it to thrive. And that's what we look at. Well, so how does CD Baby do that for an indie creator? If I'm an indie creator who's setting up music on your service and you're telling me that this isn't just a service where you throw your tracks up and then we'll throw your tracks up on Spotify and then we'll never talk to each other again. <laughs> you guys are saying that's not what we do. There's there's a real two-way relationship and we want to cultivate you as an artist, which makes sense given your background as a musician and, and all the work I know you do on your own podcast, The DIY Musician. So how does CD Baby put that philosophy into action? How is the treatment I'm going to get at a service like yours different from uh, one of these more assembly line distribution services? Well, I, I mean, you mentioned some of it. I mean, we spend a lot of time trying to build tools for independent artists to better understand what they're getting themselves into to help them grow. We spend an enormous amount of time um, providing resources so it's not just about, hey, throw out some files. It's about, hey, we want you to succeed in this. And I think our model plays into that as well. Um, we, we take a 9% cut. You know, it's a one-time fee when you distribute music. Your music can stay up forever. Uh, we're not going to come back and say, if you don't pay up, we're going to take your music down. We take a 9% cut on the back end. And I, why I think this makes our service more aligned with independent artists is because we want to make sure you are fully monetized. We want your tracks making the most money possible because we get a cut. Because um, you got skin in the game, yeah. We've got skin in the game. And that's one of those things. It's funny because I was thinking about just how that applies um, to a lot of aspects of an independent artist's career. We've all had that friend who, you know, when you start playing shows and maybe some good things are happening, we've all had that friend or relative that says, hey, I'll do some bookings for you. I'll help manage you and you don't even have to pay me. And then they might get one show and they're like, hey, we're not getting any shows or anything. And they say, well, you're not paying me anything. What do you expect? I'm like, right. You, you, you encounter yeah. that very early on many times, both with a promoter, like a, uh, when you're just, you know, dealing with maybe a more entry level concert promoter or when you're working with those bookers and things that are like, oh, I'll do it for free. It's like you realize that when they don't have skin in the game, they're not as motivated to make sure stuff happens for you. And for us, you know, that what that looks like on the back end that artists don't necessarily see is we make sure our files, our music files are getting monetized as many places as possible, not just the top 1,000 tracks. We want our entire catalog completely monetized everywhere because um, when artists make money, we get a piece of it. And so that's a big motivator for us. Well, and in the, in the name of making sure that artists get every dollar that's coming to them, I do praise CD Baby for being one of the early adopters of creating an all-in-one distribution and publishing solution for indie creators rather than having to go to a separate service to get your songwriting royalties cd baby allows you to do it all through the distribution interface so you don't have to go and you know you know mix and match and get two different services i'd love to talk to you about that because i think that's really cool especially for the indie creators out there who are also writing their own songs and are worried about this thing called publishing so can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between distribution and publishing and how they intersect on a platform like CD Baby? 
Yeah, distribution is about making sure your sound recordings uh, are, you know, sent out to all the stores and, and platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, and there's just enormous amount of them all around the world. Um, depending on where you live, you may have heard of some that uh, other people have not. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of them, and uh, not just the ones we hear about here in the U.S. Uh, so that's you know taking your master recording and sending it out that master recording could be an original song you wrote it could be a cover song a song that somebody else wrote and uh we compensate you for the usage of that master recording Uh, now for songs that you wrote that's when publishing money comes into play and for artists that write their own music and it's original we can represent them and ensure that they're getting all their publishing money. And uh, most artists get confused because they have a performing rights organization. Like here in the U.S., it's ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC, and they think, oh, that's my publisher. No, they're not your publisher. Oh, yeah. Why do I need publishing? Uh, they, they, I got, that's I got not ASCAP. A, they take care of it. <laughs> they are not a publisher. They yeah. say that right on their website. They are not a publisher. They represent publishers and writers for a certain type of royalty. But uh, what the main royalty that's out there that they do not represent you for um, is the mechanical royalties, which on a streaming platform like Spotify, for every $5 you make, there's about an additional dollar of mechanical royalties that are owed to you if you write, if, if it's original music. And uh, they, they need to know who wrote the songs and how to pay them. And this, it, you know, it's a very complicated process. The publishing world is probably the last piece of the music business to step into the uh, <laughs> the the modern era, and they're still they're still you know kicking and screaming to do it. Um, because I mean, just the word publishing just connotes like a quill pen. <laughs> yes, yes. Some of them wish that was still the world they lived in because. The the old school method of publishing really benefited high catalog performers, and that that suited that world fine. But now you have all these indie creators that uh, and a system that really should be paying one for one. I get when my uh, if I release a track and it only gets streamed once, Spotify will compensate me for that one stream. Uh, there's no reason why that shouldn't be true in publishing, and and it's getting better, but it's still not uh, the the whole way it works is still not where it should be. And, you, and there's still a lot of things happening around it. If you've been paying attention to the news in the last couple of weeks, a lot of comedy stuff got pulled from Spotify because you know those folks have not been getting paid publishing money for the usage of their their comedy, uh, yeah. which has similar rights under the law. So there's, it's come a long way. Um, but all that to say is that world does not, is not set up to deal with independent publishers directly. And so we administer your rights on your behalf. You own everything. You maintain all the ownership. All you do is let us administer it. And we go out and get that money for you. And we connect the dots much quicker and we cut out some middlemen so that you get paid faster and um cutting out some of those middle folks makes it it, uh get more money to your pocket as well it's a valuable service when you can when you're 
distributor, whether it's CD Baby or anybody, also has that affiliated publishing administration arm because it takes care of your distribution and your publishing all in one stop. And unlike just working with ASCAP, oh, I have ASCAP, I don't need any other publishing. ASCAP does not take care of your international performance royalties by and large. There's a lot of other performance royalties around the world that you're not getting. And as Kevin noted, you're not getting those mechanical royalties, which with the passage of the Music Modernization Act a couple years ago is a slightly bigger pot of money than it was uh, before the passage of the MMA. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of value in just making yeah. sure it's all in one place and you only have to go through one platform to get all the royalties to which you're entitled. Um, great insight, Kevin. Let me let me ask you this now, because we're talking about how a company like yours continues to pivot in the face of just increasing disruption in the music industry. And I imagine a big key to that success in pivoting is not just reacting to change, but sort of being proactive about what you think is going to happen next. So let me ask you this, and we might be treading on some company trade secrets here, but don't <laughs> worry. This is just you and me, all right? This isn't right, going on right. satellite radio That's or anything. Right. Just, just a couple right. dudes talking. What's next for CD Baby? What are you guys planning that will allow you to perhaps confront the next year's or next five years' worth of challenges ahead in the industry? Well, you know, for us... Uh, one of the things that we've been spending a lot of time and effort on is making distribution accessible to everyone around the world. Um, currently, our website is available in Spanish and Portuguese, meaning that you can go not just go into the website, but the whole way you interact with the company. Um, so allowing people that are outside of English-speaking um countries, better access to distribution. A big piece that we're spending a lot of time and effort on is making it easier for artists in underserved areas to uh, pay us and to get paid from us, meaning transacting in their local currency. Um, you know, th some of these areas that have uh, really burgeoning music communities like in Latin America or parts of Asia and parts of Africa, they don't have credit cards. Uh, they don't have um, online banking the same way necessarily the Western world is used to. And so getting access for those folks and then even bigger, paying them because yeah. a lot of them, it's, it's a little bit more of a complicated issue of how banking works in various countries and um, so pretty tricky that, last mile problem there. Yeah. 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 So there's an enormous amount of artists where, that is a key issue for them and also making it more accessible that um, we can adjust for, you know, how the price per, you know, value to the dollar in different areas, you know, for some folks in Latin America are, are $29 or $9.95 for submission fee. Um, that just seems like, okay, nine bucks. We kind of see that. Ah, that's not too much. It's worth it uh, for a song. In other countries, that could be like a whole week's worth of pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to do things to make it more accessible to uh, everyone around the world and speak to them in their own language and let them be able to transact in their currency. And we, we think that's going to be uh, critical for the success and continued growth of the independent market uh, in you know the next 10 years. I love this because... Uh, we could almost say like the first 20 years of what you guys have been doing has been focused a lot on getting indie creators here 
get their music throughout the world. But now you guys are also turning your focus on bringing the world's music to the rest of the world and making sure that not just here in the United States, but around the world, people have access to that kind of easy distribution to allow anyone in the world to become a successful indie creator. Love it. I'm really excited by that. You can find out more about our guest work by visiting www.cdbaby.com. Kevin Bruner, our guest, he is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Artist Brands for CD Baby. And among the things on his resume that we love, he's a friend of our program, which is <laughs> lovely. We've had him on a bunch of times. He always has great insight. Oh, and by the way, he's you know a rock star in his own right. Uh, how, how's the band doing? You guys still playing? Small Town Park? Yeah, I just got back from playing some shows, uh, and it went really well. Uh, it was, um, you know... I can say that the the shows we just did were had far greater attendance than I had hoped for, which is nice. Uh, and it was a, a big success. And then we also, you know, uh, we did a, a a live stream event. It was the first time where we scheduled and and promoted and and did it electric, which was something new. Um, that we still had some learning experiences along the way uh with with facebook and going live but uh (laughs) but it sounded amazing and that was the most important thing uh because it was all electric and um and and just live in the room and we just got our volumes and and you know everything set just basically how we were hearing it in the room and made sure it sounded good on the phone and the mix sounded really great and we've gone live on facebook a bunch but it's always been acoustic and stripped down and and we're to the point where it's like, hey, we want to be able to do what we do in these live streams and try something different, not just acoustic yeah. versions. And and we, we, you know, we had a new record come out in in late September that we're still supporting, and had a Christmas single come out uh, in November. So yeah, lots of activity. It's been a pretty busy season as far as the band goes. That's one of the things I really love about CD Baby. It's just the the fact that in like true hair club for men, I'm also a client <laughs> fashion. So many of you are also w- continuing to be working musicians, still indie creators in your own right. And that kind of gives you firsthand knowledge of what you need these platforms to do. I think of your colleague over at CD Baby, Chris Robley, mm-hmm. uh, who is also still doing some great things as an indie artist. I love that not only are you bringing that experience into your work, but that your work is pretty chill about you continuing to be a musician and uh, exploring your art. To me, that's just the the hallmark of a pretty cool company over there. Uh, Congratulations on everything that you and your company is doing, and uh, I wish you guys all the best in the new year. Oh, before we let you go, I almost forgot. (laughs) I got to get the piece of advice out of you here. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest tip... I think I could give is to keep writing and recording and focusing on your craft. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny because being out there and, and having been doing music for many, many years and seeing the, the rise of technology and how it can be very helpful, especially on the recording front, you know, uh, I record a lot of the guitar tracks I do here at my house um, and it sounds just as good as a studio. So there's been a lot of accessibility there, but at the same time, technology can be such a massive 
distraction for <laughs> artists for actually honing their craft. So um, there is a, a, a need in place for things like social media and such. But at the end of the day, if you're looking at how you're spending your time and the majority of it is not writing, recording, and creating new music and improving your craft, then you might need to adjust your priorities because uh, that's one of the things that is going to help you more than anything else is writing, getting better, making great music, getting getting music out there and seeing how people react to it, and then building a catalog. Because even if you have one song that does well, uh, you know, I, I talk to artists all the time. They're like, they'll just have one song and they'll kind of just you'll get it out there. It does well, but then they have a hard time moving beyond that song. I'm like, your fans cannot listen to your song on repeat over and over again for months on end. You need yeah. a catalog. And every time you release new music, it gets them to go back and listen to your whole catalog. And so it's like the idea of building this catalog is so key to driving revenue and building a career and just keeping your fans engaged. I think uh, the last thing I'll say is one of the great things that's happened is that platforms like Spotify and uh, Amazon just added this uh, like a month and a half ago. They allow you to pitch tracks to editors and they also push, if you use their tools properly, push your new releases to your fans there. So the act of releasing music is an act of promotion, which is the best thing ever because it's like you want to release music and it be pushed to your fans. So releasing more music is the best way to keep engaging with your fans and uh, build, you know, driving revenue and building stream counts and download counts and engagements and all that. So, um, yes, if you find yourself spending most of your time on TikTok or Instagram, then maybe you want to be an Instagram person and not a musician because <laughs> <laughs> because being good at it, you know, it takes time to hone a craft and get better and and. You know, that's something definitely I've seen with, you know, at this point, I've been releasing music for almost 25 years. And the last album we did, we think is the best thing we've done. And our fans have been saying that, too. And it's like it takes a, it's a long journey to keep building those those experiences and things that create, uh, you know, good music. Terrific insight, Kevin. Happy New Year, my man. And yeah, thank you so much yeah. for being on this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you next time. That was Kevin Bruner, everybody. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.cdbaby.com. One of my favorite people to always have on the program. He's great every time. And oh my God, look at that cute dog. He just wanted to say goodbye and happy new year. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, my thanks to you, Lauren, and to Lucky for joining us with the closing of the show. Oh, what a cute doggy. And uh, most of all, thank you all listeners viewers for hanging out with us all year it's been a fantastic year love having this live stream and getting to talk to you all on it and i'm excited for what 2022 will hold and we'll hope you'll be joining us for that year thank you all for checking out break the business we'll see you happy next new year year next year
takes 